Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Philo T. Farnsworth has been called the forgotten father of television. He grew up in Utah and southern Idaho and was described as a genius by those who knew and worked with him. With only a high school education, Farnsworth drew his first television schematic for his high school teacher in Rigby, Idaho. Subsequent claims and litigation notwithstanding, he was the first to transmit a television image. So says Donald Godfrey in his biography, Philo T. Farnsworth, the father of television, out from University of Utah Press. Every television set uh, sold utilized at least six of Farnsworth's basic patents. Because of endless uh, legal wrangling with uh, RCA over patent rights, he received only very little financial reward for his television patents. Donald Godfrey examines the genius and failures in the life of Philo Farnsworth as he struggled to be both inventor and entrepreneur. Uh, Donald Godfrey is an electronic media educator, professional broadcaster, and historian. He is past director and founder of the ASU Walter Cronkite School of Journalism doctoral uh, program. And uh, he uh, retired after uh, 24 years in the faculty of the Walter, Walter Cronkite School of Journalism, Mass Communication, Arizona State University. Donald Godfrey joins us uh, for the hour. Uh, thanks for joining us. You're welcome. And it's just Don. Uh, Don, okay. All right. I understand you have a Logan connection where we're broadcasting from. Uh, my great-grandfather was born and raised there, yep. All right. All right. We'll, we'll claim you as an Aggie here. Um and, uh, of course, a lot of places uh, can and do claim Philo Farnsworth. Uh, born in Utah, I believe, raised in uh, Idaho, uh, lived in various places. I learned from the book, I didn't learn, didn't know this, uh, f- uh, at least for a brief time, uh, the Farnsworth family lived near Vernal, my hometown in Utah. Uh, he was born and raised down there by, uh, is it Beaver? Yeah. And in... In, in a farm uh, west in Mandersfield, I believe. But he was just a, a, a child there, didn't do a, uh, you know, mostly worked in farming and did a lot of dreaming and a lot of reading. And then they moved up to uh, to Idaho where he uh, came in, in contact with a whole lot of uh, engineering magazines and things that just kind of fostered a child's mind. I, in, in my mind, they are the equivalent of today's popular mechanics and and those kinds of things. And that's kind of what started him in his career. And I want to loop back and uh, get his career. You you uh, you know you, you outlined some lessons from the life of Philo Farnsworth. That's the advantage of a of a biography. Um, but I want to start with a question that apparently Farnsworth didn't care a lot about, and that was, you treat this in your last chapter, who was first? This is uh, something I think a lot of us do care about, and of course financially that's is important with, you know, with patents. Um, but you said, first of all, you say Philo Farnsworth was the, was the first uh, with television in a very important way. Uh, yes, I think that the, the argument can easily be made for Philo. The biggest problem in defining uh, who was first is defining first. Right, yeah, yeah. So talk a little bit about that. <clears throat> well, first at what? First with what parameters? Uh, you know, first to demonstrate, first to create an operational system, first to experiment, first to... Anyway, uh, Philo's largest competitor, Vladimir Zhivorkin, who would later work for, for RCA, actually did some experimentation with television in 1923, 
but his experiments never went anywhere, and uh, even though he had a patent for it, he, General Electric, who he was working for, uh, didn't really have an interest in television, so they kind of pushed it aside and pushed him to work on what he was supposed to be working on, which is radio, and that patent never went anywhere. Uh, his other Philo's patents came along in 1927, 28, and 29, and uh, they were working patents. Mm. Uh, you write, uh, you write that uh, just a little later uh, in this chapter, Farnsworth would have cared little for the argument of who was who was first, which surprises me. I I, I thought uh, inventors were passionate about that that question. What 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 was he concerned about? Farnsworth was concerned about his inventions. Farnsworth had a mind that's just unbelievable. Uh, I mean, he he was concerned about the next thing and how he could how he could improve his work and how in in the case of television how he could improve the quality of the picture. You know, and it was uh, you know one experiment after after the other. So. Uh, he he was constantly working on that. He didn't care a whole lot for publicity and those kinds of things. Mm. He should have. He might have been <laughs> had a little better chance at it had he had some more publicity. But he didn't have any money. Yeah, and and that's that's the critical part. Uh, he he was the first in many several critical areas of television. RCA was the one that really made the money, though, right? And others. Yeah, RCA uh, was the juggernaut at the time. And uh, in, in, in terms of patents, when RCA didn't have a patent, I mean, they had a, uh, had a patent portfolio that was huge. So when Philo refused to, to sell RCA the patent, RCA just uh, basically challenged his patent, and that tied him up for, oh, about a dozen years. Yeah. But he, 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 he fought hard. Eventually, the, it settled, right? Eventually, he... I mean, Eventually he won. Yeah, you could say he won. Yeah. Yeah, he he won, but uh, by then you're getting into what history other historians call television's false dawn, which was just a few years prior to uh, to World War II, when uh, the industry was ready to launch television, and then boom, World War II comes along, and all the manufacturing plants across the country, including Farnsworth, were retooled. From manufacturing receiving sets to manufacturing uh, war materials. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everything was repurposed. I wonder uh, if you could uh, take me to uh, this. It's kind of hard to do, so it's very valuable to, to talk about this. Of course, we we live with television. We live in the world of television. But but thinking about the world before television, uh, so maybe you could paint that picture at the time when Philo Farnsworth is. You know, plowing his fields and and coming up with with this idea for for transmitted images. Well, there was a lot going on in, in radio at the time uh, before television. Radio existed, and so RCA got their you know their their money from uh, from radio. Um, and television wasn't an unknown at the time. There were other inventors. Um, Charles Francis Jenkins being one, uh, Baird in, in England being one of the leaders in what is referred to as mechanical television. So there are experiments to include pictures with radio. In fact, Jenkins called 
his early exper experiments, radio vision. And he transmitted things early in, early in the 1920s uh, that you and I today would consider facts. Mm. Uh, really? Facts. Wow. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. We have those gaps, don't we, of, of decades where, <laughs> where yeah. something, you know. And, and the FCC wasn't doing anything with television either when it started in the 1930s. I mean, 1927 for the Federal Radio Commission, 1934 for the Federal Communications Commission. Their challenge was to organize radio so that it would better better serve. And television was trying to come along at the same time. By 1934, both Farnsworth and RCA uh, were in heavily into ex experimentation, but the FCC was, uh, you know, mostly protecting radio and organizing radio, and they didn't really do anything until uh, the early 40s. Hmm, interesting, yeah. Now, now it seems to be, you know, all about uh, television, of course, the dominant medium. Uh, and now it's shifting to, uh, you know, to computer, to our, to our phones. Uh, I wonder, then taking a step back, I wonder what it must be. So the, the bigger innovation perhaps was... was Radio, because the television had a radio reference. Um, I wonder what it must have been like for people receiving the first radio transmissions. Well, KDKA said, if you can hear this, please let us know. Oh, <laughs> they did. What, when, what, what year was that? What era was that? It was 19... Oh, man, I'd have to go back to my history books and, and see, but it was one of the earliest broadcasts yeah. from KDKA in Pittsburgh. And they broadcast some election returns, which they were actually reading out of the newspaper. And they uh, they asked the audience if anybody was listening, could they please let them know? <laughs> yeah, that's that's amazing. And then you know it takes off from there. By the way, uh, t uh, newspapers still complain that radio. Uh, I hear this. You know, you're you're just ripping us off. Uh, because they're they're the ones that have the uh, repertorial you know resources. Of course, that's dwindling as as we go along. Uh, I wonder. Uh, we should put more money into our reporting resources. Yeah, yeah, we we definitely do. It's it's uh, we're we're much the poorer if we lose those those reporters. Um, much more things that are more important than than the violence and mayhem that we see. We need to be fact checking and those kinds of things. Now you're getting me into editorial. <laughs> Let's go there for a couple minutes. You you know you taught at a school of journalism, right? Uh, um, we, it, the sources of revenue uh, seem to be less, right? In in, in the new world online. Um, well, there's no denying that social media has had a uh, significant uh, effect on the bottom line. I mean, when you divide the uh, available revenue between ABC, CBS, and NBC, you're talking three sources, plus a few radio stations around around the country that might have been independent. But you're dividing the advertising dollar but on a national level between those three networks. Then you start adding networks. And the the pie, the pieces of the pie that those individuals get, you know, got smaller. And then, boom, you add the social networks, and now it's extremely competitive. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was just telling my grandkids the other day what used to require a studio and a crew of 12 and edit bays all over the place and huge cameras and, and whatnot. Now you can... Do the same thing with something you carry around in your pocket. Yeah. So the the technology has phenomenally affected us. But I, I, I kind of wonder sometimes 
yes, the pie has gotten smaller and we have to divide the advertising dollar up in, in little in littler pieces so we can't afford those old-fashioned big newscasts. But news has changed in the last two decades. Uh, Walter wasn't too terribly happy with the way the the news trends were going. And I and I maybe I'm biased because I am from the Walter Cronkite School of Journalism. But I just wonder if the news media are really serving the people the way they used to be. They seem to go after the blood and and we we convict people before all the evidence is in and and we carry sound bites like they were meaningful bits of factual information when they're not, and we're just not doing investi- the investigative reporting that we used to do in, in the earlier years. So as a consequence, I think at least uh, the older folks who used to have that from Walter and, and other people uh, have have turned to other sources. Oh, like what? Like, well, speaking for myself, I hop from channel to channel to channel mm-hmm. to uh, you know, see if there's information I, I can glean. Do we just carry the the uh, the sound bites of of Hillary and Trump, or do we really go in and find out if what they're telling us is the truth? You know, and it's that truth. It's that a reporter is supposed to stand in for a member of the audience. That means that reporter is supposed to ask questions that I would ask if I were there on the scene. But I can't, and the audience can't be there on the scene. So he or she are, you know, they are our eyes and ears, not just a reflection of, of, of what some demonstration wants to raise publicity for. Uh, they're supposed to be our eyes and ears in, in helping us to understand what's going on, hmm. not just reflecting the... Uh, the craziness. Well, it, it, it sure is crazy. Um, uh, but I wonder, uh, those eyes and ears, there are fewer of them, right? Because there's there's less money. Are there fewer of them because there's less money? Or are there fewer of them because we're not getting the information that really impacts our lives? Mm, okay. I mean, that's yeah. just a rhetorical question. I've yeah. seen no research on it. And I know what the industry would tell me if I was talking to a, a television newscaster. They have to do it. They yeah. have to do that to be competitive. Right. The latest in the research consultant reports tells them that's what they have to do. Uh, let's take a break. Uh, when we come back, I uh, want to uh, continue discussion of uh, Philo T. Farnsworth. Of course, okay. uh, we're, we're talking about what became of... Uh, uh, of the medium that uh, he was instrumental in in creating, so it's, it's, it does uh, create a loop here, very interesting loop. What became of it? Uh, when we come back, I want to talk, uh, of course, uh, get into history, the Philo Farnsworth history and character, um, the epic battle with RCA, um, and I also want to talk about this. It's a front piece. You have a character of Philo T. Farnsworth, a, a sketch of him. At the bottom of this is a Beetle Bailey cartoon, which gets us into uh, what talking about what what Farnsworth might have thought uh, of his of his invention. Of course, he lived to 1971, so I, I don't know if he had had any thoughts at that point. Television, you know, uh, very much a going concern then. Let's uh, talk more about that following this break.
Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and the Utah State Historical Society. Hosting the Rural Utah Western Issues Conference Friday, September 30th in West Valley City. Agenda and registration information available at history.utah.gov. Utah Public Radio is partnering with the Utah Debate Commission to present debates in each of Utah's four congressional districts. We'll also present a Senate debate. And we'll be broadcasting the gubernatorial debate, which is originating from Utah State University on Monday evening at 6. This will feature a debate between uh, Republican Governor Gary Herbert and Democratic challenger Mike Weinholz. UPR's Carrie Bringhurst will moderate with a media press panel. The debate for governor will be followed immediately by the first of three presidential debates. That happens at 7 o'clock. Hope you join us for the gubernatorial debate, followed by the presidential debate. It all gets underway Monday evening at 6. You can find out more about all of our election coverage by going to upr.org. Thanks for listening to Access Utime. Tom Williams. Uh, we are talking with Donald Godfrey, who's author of Philo T. Farnsworth, The Father of Television. Uh, you can join us by telephone to 800-826-1495, 1-800-826-1495, by email to upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com, and we're on Twitter. You can uh, get a question or comment to us via Twitter at upraxcess. That's at uh, upraxcess. Uh, Donald Gunfrey, I, I want to talk about this. We referenced this before the break. Um, early in the book, there's a, a picture, character, a, a drawing of Farley T. Farnsworth. Below it, there's a Beadle Bailey cartoon, July 17, 1981. I'll just read this. This is uh, Beadle and his buddy. Uh, the buddy says, Did you know that the inventor of TV was Philo T. Farnsworth? Beadle says, Philo T. Farnsworth, what a corny name. His buddy says, Fitting, isn't it? And they're watching television as they're, as they're saying this. What? Uh, why'd you choose that cartoon? I thought it was cute. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what was Philo's impression of television? Philo thought uh, that television would bring society together. He thought that it would bring families together. In the early 50s, when commercial television was evolving, he uh, restricted his, fa- his children's watching and viewing different programs. They weren't allowed to uh, just... Uh, Really turn it on and soak up their <clears throat> soak up their time. So he was disappointed, I think, in the way television went commercially, as opposed to the way he thought it might do. The way he envisioned bringing people together, particularly. Um, he thought it might be. He thought it bring people together, and it might be more of an educational thing. I guess. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Right. And educational and news. And mm-hmm. uh, bring understanding cultures instead of cultures fighting each other, it's understanding each other and, and, and bringing people together that way. I don't think he env- he envisioned the uh, the entertainment aspect to the length of the entertainment has gone uh, in the 1950s or even or particularly even today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I guess it could have more more meaningful substance to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, you know, I guess if you talk to Tim Berners-Lee, uh, you know, he might give you similar, I don't know if he has given similar about the Internet, you know, but uh, the cynics among us would say, well, of course, you'd predict we would go to the lowest common denominator. That's just what happens. But, uh, well, they had to have a way to get money. One of the, one mm-hmm. of the things that, that Farnsworth, we, we don't, you know, he, he didn't envision selling commercials to, to support his, 
his his undertakings. He envisioned, uh, uh, you know, patent rights and the finances that were required from uh, somebody else using his patents to, that would pay him from the, the sale and manufacture of equipment sets. That was how he 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 made his money. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about uh, education. Uh, he he was uh, he had a high school education. He I think he dropped out of college to uh, he was building and selling radios to support his invention, support his family. Um, this is a, a quote that you have from him um, under the chapter. It says Farnsworth legacies. So this is Philo T. Farnsworth. If you are truly progressing, you will come to realize the amount of knowledge you don't have will increase directly in proportion to the amount of new knowledge you you acquire. Recognition of this will keep you open-minded and humble, two essentials of the great uh, scientist. Um, So he did have a path. He did realize education had passion for for knowledge, and that's, I guess, a large vein of why he was an inventor or or what drove him. Now, putting putting that another way, I think uh, he would agree that the more you learn, the more you learn there is to learn. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, certainly. And he had a passion for that. He had a photographic memory. Uh, he could read scientific journals as a as a young man, and I'm talking the physics journals. I opened up some of them that were in his home one time, and boy, they were way over my head, but they were all marked up. And he remembered them verbatim the next day. Hmm. Uh, he had it. He also had a tremendous drive. Right, you, you would have to to do what he did. A tremendous drive. Tremendous drive. Yes, you're absolutely correct. That was also a problem, created a problem for him in terms of his health. Yeah. He, he couldn't shut off his mind. He was continually trying to better things, trying to improve whatever it was he was working on. Um, I don't know if you've ever gone to bed and you can't go to sleep because your mind is just swirling. Yeah, yeah, yeah I've been there. Luckily, Milo, you know, not too Milo much. Milo had that problem, except continually. Mm-hmm. He couldn't shut it off. So he would work days and sometimes weeks at a time without sleeping, without eating. And this caused him some health problems mm-hmm. later on. But yes, he had, uh, you know, back to where we started this question, he had one fantastic mind. Uh, he he died at uh, 64, right? 1971. He if he'd uh, lived a you know more average lifespan, he would have been with us into the 80s and 90s. Um, would have been interesting to what he would say about about the developments then. But uh, yeah, that was part of it, right? He he was he just had that drive. He just had that drive, and he couldn't shut off his mind and the things that he tried to do and the things the doctors told him to do to to relax and and whatnot. His vacations were working vacations. Hmm. Uh, Em uh, tried to help him all she could. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I want to get into talking about his his wife Pam, um, and and she and the the family have uh, been instrumental in resurrecting his legacy, right? Resurrecting his his fame. Um, they've been uh, very passionate about that. I want to take us back. By the way, we're talking with Donald Godfrey. He's author of the biography Philo T. Farnsworth, the father of television, and. Uh, Utah proudly claims um, Philo T. Farnsworth, uh, along with Idaho and California and Indiana, but uh, we're the one that has him in Statuary Hall in the in the Capitol. It's Brigham Young and Philo T. Farnsworth. Uh, That's due to the efforts of Pem. Uh huh. Yeah, th- because there was a time because when after, he was pretty after forgotten. RCA after World War II, the RCA was it, it was a race, and RCA was winning. Uh, 
and they did pretty much everything they could to to shut Philo down and to shut his his uh, his his legacy down. Uh, and and so Penn, after Philo passed away, was determined that the Farnsworth legacy would not die. And the, the statue in the Statutory Hall in Washington, D.C. was, was one of her, her many efforts. The more I studied the life of Philo T. Farnsworth, the more fascinated I became with, with, with Pam. She was a jewel of a lady. Uh, tell me more about her. She was very. She was a, a partner, right? Uh, she she was a, a driving force, and then, of course, important to rehabilitating the legacy. She kept the books mm-hmm. in the early nineteen twenties, nineteen thirties laboratory in San Francisco. She kept the books when kids started to come along a little bit later. Philo would bring the books home from the lab, and they would review them at night and go over them. When they started doing television shows off of the experimental station that they had set up in Philadelphia, Pim was what you and I today would call our producer. She would go out and and get local acts and people to come and and perform at the station. Uh, Farnsworth's sisters and Pim helped with the makeup on these people. So, yeah, it it was a family affair. Sometimes people criticized the Farnsworth corporations for for hiring the uh, the family and friends, but hey, these these family made contributions. Hmm. I wonder why uh, RCA did settle right with with Farnsworth, uh, but they did continue. I think a, a drive to write or win history or rewrite history. Um, what what were they well, doing there? Do you think? When they did the uh, World's Fair demonstration in 1939, and claimed, you know, that that, that was the world's first demonstration of, of of television, you know, there wasn't a single mention of Farnsworth. They knew darn well <laughs> that Farnsworth was ahead of them at that time. In the early, in the late 20s, and in the early 1930s, a parade of RCA people came to. San Francisco to see what Farnsworth was doing. Some of them came honestly to see what he's doing and to see how far he was ahead of them. And some of them came to kind of, uh, you know, more than see what he was doing. They wanted to shut him down. They were, they were spies, basically, including David Sarnoff, who came, who came to to tour. The facility in 1934. This is now in in Philadelphia. Farnsworth put on a demonstration of television with the Benjamin Franklin Institute, and the public just poured into the institute to see what was going on, to see themselves uh, disembodied like ghosts, as some of them some of them put it. But the Philadelphia Eagles tossed the football back and forth outside and on the lawn of the of the Franklin Institute, and other golf people and famous people of the time from the East came and, and, and did little demonstrations for them, and television was on its way. Hmm. But in 1939, did RCA recognize any of this? Heavens, no. One of the things you got to realize, RCA had more people in their public relations department than Farnsworth had in his corporation. Hmm. 
they had a larger budget for public relations than Farnsworth had for his corporation. So it was a pretty hard fight. It was Pem described it as David, David and Goliath, and that's a good analogy. Uh, so that that must have taken a lot of resources from Farnsworth, uh, both financial and what emotional stress, right? This, this was several years battle with it with, with the resources, but time, mm-hmm. as you say, several years, because the battle started in the early thirties and didn't end until thirty nine, thirty eight, thirty nine in there somewhere. What was the settlement? What what was the aftermath then of the, the settlement? Was was Farnsworth able to settle down, devote more time to what he wanted to do? Farnsworth never settled down. Mm. That just wasn't his mindset. But when when by the time RCA paid, um, they weren't dealing with Philo Farnsworth singular as an entity anymore, uh, as they were in San Francisco. They were dealing with the Farnsworth Radio and Television Corporation, which had now been formed out of Indiana. I want to go back. I want to go back um and the, there's a there's a famous moment which became very important in the lawsuits. Um young Philo T Farnsworth in Rigby, Idaho draws on a thing on a blackboard for his teacher his his idea, his initial idea. Um what was it maybe to describe that idea to you know least complicated fashion will understand what was what was that idea that uh, that Colonel and I did that he demonstrated for his at least uh, on on the blackboard for his teacher. Well, his teacher was Justin Tallman in uh, <clears throat> at Rugby High School, and he was one of the first people to to recognize Farnsworth's genius. And Tallman had engineering books and stuff in his library, and of course that interested Farnsworth. And Farnsworth would go in to talk to Tallman and to to borrow his books. To, to read and learn, and Tallman would often leave Farnsworth when he had to go somewhere. He would leave Farnsworth in charge of the class. He came back one day, and Vila was giving the class a lecture on the theory of relativity. <laughs> and he came back, what you refer to in terms of the diagram, um, and it had to have been written on, on paper as well as the blackboard because later Tolman would re- re- reproduce that drawing when it came to prove that Philo was ahead of Javorkin. But uh, he went in and he saw the drawing on the blackboard and, and Tolman asked, what's that? And Philo said, that's my new invention. What's that? Television. It was a uh, It was a drawing of basically Scan the scanning, how to scan a single line of of television, right? And that's the way Farnsworth drew pictures, one line at a time. And Farnsworth's first picture was one line. Bankers weren't too impressed with the one line, so he did a triangle. Bankers still weren't too impressed, and so he did a dollar sign. That impressed the bankers. Uh, an actual dollar sign. An actual dollar sign. Yeah. <laughs> so demonstration that, that an, of what I'm gonna I'm gonna return your investment. A, a, phys- yeah. a, a visual demonstration. I see. Yeah. And that's what they hoped. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what they were in there for. They were they were bankers trying to trying to make a dollar, but uh, basically what you have is the the uh, I'm trying to remember the 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 name of it. 
the electronic image was created, was dissected and created in, again in lines. Hmm. Now the, the, Today, the, you and I are looking at a, a, a television that's, uh, what, 1181? That's 1181 lines. So it, it, done differently in terms of digital, but it's still lines. Yeah. The standard for a long time was, what, 560? Farnsworth started out at 100 and 200 and 300 and 400 and worked his way up to 500. And each time the uh, the, the the picture itself uh, got better. And and so I guess if you were if you were visionary, you could you could imagine the way you know we have the perspective of seeing this in hindsight. But that one line, and then you imagine that by many lines, and and you can actually transmit electronically. You can transmit images. Uh, what uh, Farnsworth had the first all electronic transmission, right? What, what were the other inventors uh, that uh, going for? What what was what was different about theirs from his? Well, only two people were working on uh, Farns- electronic television, and that was Farnsworth and RCA. Mm-hmm. The other closest competitor would have been Charles Francis Jenkins, and Charles Francis Jenkins is associated a lot with the disc. And this was like a huge, old-fashioned, what am I trying to long playing record, except it was like three feet and it had holes all around it. And those holes, using optics, would create scanning lines. But to spin this disc... Uh, I, I watched one demonstration of one once, and I thought that disc, if it ever came came loose, would go flying right all the way through the wall. And it was just a wheel. It didn't really provide clarity. It didn't really accommodate manufacturing, because even in your home set, you would have to translate that with another disc. Jenkins, who came along the the century before Farnsworth, said the day of the disc is dead. And he worked and actually had a manufacturing plant for the Depression. The Great Depression took took his his life and his and his career, but he put that together and started manufacturing in what is today referred to as optical electronics. Now, if you pick up your phone that's probably in your pocket and you look at that little screen on that phone, that's made possible by some of the patents of Charles Francis Jenkins. Oh, interesting. Jen- yeah. I'm, Jenkins I'm... Uh, was sick. He uh, he died. The Depression hit. Uh, and guess who bought up all of his patents and just basically buried them? Television might have been different if RCA had followed through on Farnsworth's ideas and 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 Jenkins of ideas, but they had ideas of their own. And it is history's written by the you know the, the the where the money flows right and who's successful financially. Yeah. Um. Uh. I want to talk a bit about. Um. Well, let's take another break, and when we come back, I want to talk about some of other uh, Philo T. Farnsworth's uh, work. Uh, I was fascinated. I learned this from from your book, uh, Philo T. Farnsworth, the famous now, of course, for television, worked in fusion, and he had this very interesting right. idea of using fusion to to power defense of the nation, among other things, and maybe you know low cost energy. Let's talk more about that when we come back. We're talking with Donald Godfrey. Don Godfrey, he is the uh, 
author of Philo T. Farnsworth, The Father of Television, is out from University of Utah Press. More follows the break. Did you know that while enrollments in foreign language classes are dropping on college campuses nationwide, the number of college students who are learning American Sign Language is going up? A report from the Modern Language Association shows aggregate foreign language enrollments decreased by 6.7% from 2009 to 2013 in the United States. But American Sign Language enrollments went up 19% over the same four years. Students may be drawn to sign language because it is visual and because it satisfies a foreign language requirement. They may also want to communicate with a friend or a family member who is deaf or hard of hearing. This segment of Did You Know That? has been brought to you by our members and the Emma Eccles-Jones College of Education and Human Services, committed to mentoring tomorrow's educators, researchers, and clinicians, located on campuses in Logan and 26 other sites throughout Utah. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and Moab Area Travel Council, who champions Utah's visitation to Grand County through tourism, events, and recreation in a manner that promotes and protects the beauty and scenery of our natural environment. Information online at discovermoab.com. For months now, we've heard the presidential candidates talk about each other. Hillary Clinton is running Donald a Trump's, Trump's ideas. Hillary Clinton is a bigot. Love Trump's hate. Who Let's sees have people? Monday, they'll go head to head in the first presidential debate. NPR News will be there with live coverage plus fact checking and analysis. I'm Robert Siegel. Join me for coverage of the first presidential debate from NPR News. Beginning Monday evening at 7, following the Utah gubernatorial debate, which is Monday evening at 6. Both right here on Utah Public Radio. You're listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. My guest for the hour is Don Godfrey. He is uh, author of uh, Philo T. Farnsworth, the father of television, out from University of Utah Press. Uh, Donald Godfrey is electronic media educator, professional broadcaster, and historian. He's past president of the National Broadcast Education Association, served as president of the National Council of Communication Associations and other organizations. And uh, Dr. Godfrey is past director and founder of the ASU Walter Cronkite School of Journalism doctoral uh, program. Um, I want to talk a bit about some other things of uh, that uh, that uh, T. Farnsworth was involved in. First, though, are there uh, play, uh, Philo Farnsworth uh, was born in Utah, grew up in uh, Idaho, uh, first established business in in uh, San Francisco, and uh, ended up in Indiana, then back to Utah. Are there uh, places you can go to, uh, to you know to see some of the museums uh, that you can go and, and see Philo T. Farnsworth's uh, work and artifacts? The uh, Farnsworth papers are deposited at the uh, University of Utah. They probably have the most, uh, the best collection around that I'm aware of. There's not a Farnsworth, well, there is a Farnsworth Museum in uh, Rigby, Idaho. It's, uh, it's a small collection, but it's interesting. They have some tubes there. And, 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 and some old radios and, and a collection of, uh, of a few things that people wrote about uh, Philo when he was there in Rigby as a, as a, as a youngster. But the uh, University of Utah has the largest collection. It is huge. Uh, Pem gave all of the Farnsworth papers to, uh, to the University of Utah, and she requested that I give my research papers to them, and I did. 
So it's if you want to find out about Philo and you want to look at his original writings and his original books and and those kinds of things, his, his lab books, um, go there. Okay, okay, yeah, some good places uh, to go. And I just uh, I just brought up the Farnsworth TV and Pioneer Museum in in Rigby. They have a website you can you can check it out. Um, so uh, fusion, I, I was. I was very surprised to learn that Philo T. Farnsworth was involved in uh, fusion. Learned that from your book. Uh, tell me about that. Well, there was a question on how we how we were going to uh, get the energy that we needed in the country, and one approach was the uh, the atom, and another approach nuclear energy, which is obviously the direction we went. And Philo's idea was, was fusion. And by this point in time, Philo was working for International Telephone and Telegraph, ITNT. They had purchased Farnsworth Television and, and Radio and continued on with some of the some of the work in the in the Farnsworth labs. So what they what they charged Farnsworth with doing was to create sustainable energy using fusion. Um, unfortunately, for both IT&T and Farnsworth, the uh, the money was going into nu- into nuclear experimentation, and not into Farnsworth's idea. Uh, it, Farnsworth's Farnsworth was just fascinating what he was proposing. He was proposing an energy source that you and I could carry around in our briefcase. That source would power our cars when we left for the morning to drive to work. It would power our homes when we got home. Uh, and, and so obviously this was a portable source that would power both, you know, pretty much everything. There is some criticism of, of Philo's direction in, in his experimentation in this. So I got interviewing some of the engineers that worked with Philo on Fusion. And my question to them was, did they actually produce power? And their answer was, yes. But we couldn't find the money to figure out how to sustain the power that was being produced. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. In other words, they got something more than a spark, but nothing that would sustain uh, you know, our home for, for 24-7. Mm. wonder what would have happened if they'd had the money to do that, a sustainable, portable source. Wow. Uh, at one point, uh, he had an idea that uh, fusion would power a defense system, an electronic defense system, as I, as I understood it. Kind of, a, kind of a fence around the country, uh, basically, the, yeah. 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 So, you know, a, a President Trump perhaps would have reached out to a, Philo Farnsworth, um, but, but tell me a bit about this. This is uh, you can you can tell from his ideas, his his thinking is far flung and and not in the usual track. I get you know genius is a word that, that does apply. Genius was a work of what? I'm sorry. Uh, genius is a word that does apply to to to, to Farnsworth. Uh, he he's he, his thinking is not in the not in the usual track. Or the average. Well, one of the reasons that uh, when Farnsworth Television and Radio was sold, Farnsworth himself was the only person that came to IT&T with that sale. Everybody else was 
looking for employment, I guess. But the reason that IT&T wanted Farnsworth, as they told me, was for his ideas. Mm. And they created engineers around him so that when these ideas would come to Farnsworth, somebody else would be assigned to work on them, see what they could do. One of the one of the things that jumps out to me as you, as you read the life of Philo T. Farnsworth and, and other adventures is uh, this need to be an entrepreneur. You've got to, you know, it's one thing to have an idea, but you got to find some money if you ever want the thing to develop and, and work. And uh, Philo Farnsworth was working. He was, you know, jumping into this um, in the 20s, but then after 1929, uh, I imagine money dried up. It was a lot harder to go get that money. Well, when, when the Depression hit uh, Farnsworth, he was pretty much set up and going in San Francisco. Uh, George Everson was the individual who who raised a lot of Farnsworth's early funds. Everson was an engineer. He was a community chest fundraiser, so he was a, a professional that matched Philo's talents uh, very nicely, and they became friends and partners for for years. Uh, he went on into he was always with Farnsworth raise, raising funds. Philo would uh, would appear after Everson had, uh, shall we say, kind of worked around a source, and the source wanted to meet where his money was going, and Philo would come in and he would light up the room. Philo was a reserved individual until he started to talk about his inventions. And then he was a super salesman. So between the two of them, that's, that's, that's how the money came. And when the Depression hit in 1929, uh, they were funded okay, but what it did was it panicked the bankers because the bank owned Farnsworth Labs, Crocker Bank, out of San Francisco, which is today the... Uh, Wells Fargo, and it scared them. Where's the return on this? All we're seeing is a dollar sign. We haven't seen any dollars yet. They aren't coming back. We're putting a lot of money into it. We are seeing development, but where's the cash? And so they started to pull back. And so Farnsworth and, uh, and George Everson went to other places. Yeah, your description of Farnsworth lighting up and lighting up the room that, uh, you know, reminds me of uh, Steve Jobs, uh, who puts on his black turtleneck and and uh, you know, got to got to raise the money, got to, got to provide the vision and, and excite people. I guess whether it's the inventor or or a friend, somebody's got to do that, right, to to be able to get the money coming yeah. in. And Farnsworth bought his first suit to do that. Oh, he did. Yeah. <laughs> so, didn't do the turtleneck. He got the suit, which was more appropriate for that time. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, we just have a, a, a few minutes left, about five minutes left in the conversation here. By the way, you can join the conversation at 1 800 826 1495, or our email is upraxcess at gmail.com, and we're on Twitter at upraxcess. Not only does uh, Philo Farnsworth, uh, you know, we claim him here in the West, Utah, Idaho, uh, California, uh, born in. Uh, in Utah, raised part of the time in, in here in Utah, and, and then uh, raised in uh, Idaho. 
Um, there's a religious connection as well. Uh, Philo Farnsworth was a, a lifelong member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, uh, didn't go to church much, but I, I read in your book that uh, some uh, top LDS leaders did claim him as a, you know, as a prominent inventor and member of, of our faith, as they would put it. Uh, yes, he was LDS, and I would consider, if I was characterizing Farnsworth, uh, you know, in a sentence or two, I, you know, besides being being brilliant and entrepreneurial, he was a family man, and he was a man of faith. He thought his mission, if you want to put it that way in that religious term, his mission was inventing. His mission was to Im- improve the world, and that was his calling. Now he had a few problems along the way. As I told you he had a he had a problem shutting off his mind, and so he he got so sick he went to the doctors, and the doctor said, "Well, just take a sip of wine, and that'll help your body relax." Well, it didn't work. Take a sip, you know, take a puff off this cigarette, and that'll help you relax and go to sleep at night. Well, that didn't work, and eventually he became addicted, and and these things just added to his health problems. He overcame those in the latter part of his 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 life, but to say he never attended church or something like that uh, is is not a characterization. I mean, it's a characterization that that said he had no faith, and I would strongly disagree with that. He was a man of faith. He was a family man. He came back to Salt Lake to set up his last business, basically. And uh, he went. He and Pim went through the temple. They were as active as they could be for a man who worked twenty four seven in the lab. Mm. Did he connect his faith up with his inventing, with his with his work? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, he he saw that he saw that as his responsibility, as fulfilling those needs for society, as as uh, as, as being inspired. He believed in God. Mm. No Just, question about that. Just a couple of minutes left. I wonder what uh, what are the top lessons you take from the life of Philo uh, T. Farnsworth? Interesting, to, you know, to read, and I imagine interesting to research and write a biography of a of a man like this. What are what are the lessons you, you take from it? Well, the lessons for me, and uh, you know, what I think fam- uh, Pim tried to pass along to the family was those of, of the genius of his work. Never give up. He talks to to youth groups. Never give up. Keep keep working at it. Uh, like I said, he he was a man of faith. Don't don't down him because he had some some health problems that maybe you and I, by today's standards, would would think there might have been a better way to handle those things. But that's what the doctors told him. So he did what he was told, and it was not a good idea. But he overcame those addictions, and he went on to create some very, very significant uh, contribution to society. I mean, how, you know, he was the first man to produce an electronic image. Everything you and I do today and watch on television is, uh, comes from some of his patents, even today. That's changing a little bit with, with, with digital and, and all that that's coming along. But he was a pioneer of significance. We'll uh, we'll leave it there. The um, biography is Philo T. Farnsworth, the father of television, and the author is uh, Donald Godfrey, who has uh, uh, joined us. Uh, thank you very much. Very interesting discussion. Very welcome. And uh, hope that you will uh, join us uh, tomorrow.
New York Times columnist and author Nicholas Carr will join us. His latest book is Utopia is Creepy. We'll get into the d- digital world. And uh, Mr. Carr is uh, is saying that uh, perhaps this utopian view of uh, of a world with uh, no problems or or uh, unlimited dreams in this digital world is uh, perhaps overstating the positives. Uh, Utopia's creepy Nicholas Carr tomorrow on the program. Hope you'll join us then. Thanks for listening today. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and Utah Humanities, empowering Utahns to improve their communities through active engagement online at utahhumanities.org. On the next Radio Lab, he died in Ross's arms and he was surrounded by the people that loved him. A grieving mother tracks down her baby's donated organs. I used to think the universe treated people the way it should, and now I don't really believe that. And she finds solace in the most unexpected places. There are kind people in the world, and science and medicine has something to do with that. Gray's Donation on the next Radio Lab. Join us Tuesday morning at 10 on Utah Public Radio. This is Terry Guy, Development Officer at Utah Public Radio. UPR is a statewide public radio station serving the citizens of Utah since 1953. Our listeners are educated, socially conscious, and enjoy arts and culture. They are your loyal patrons. If you're looking to make a smart business decision, become a UPR sponsor. For more information, call 435-797-3141. service of Utah State University and the College of Humanities and Social Sciences. KUSR Logan, KUSK Vernal, KUSL Richfield, KUST Moab, KCEU Price, KUSU FM Logan, also heard at upr.org.